Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, joined by Thomas Patrick Dorian. Deacon Jeff in the house. I am so glad that you're uh, that you're here with me, Tom. I'm glad to be here. And with you. Sam can't be here. Where is Sam? I don't know what to think about. That's great. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I do know he has a a, a killer Something recipe. Something to do with a rodeo. No, no, no. It's it's pepper jelly. Oh, that's he right. He has a family right. secret recipe for pepper jelly. He's perfecting it. Yes. It involves bananas. Yes. And liquor of some kind. I don't know. So anyway, yeah. so we'll we'll look forward to Good sampling luck, Sam. that. Good luck with that. <laughs> with that. So we can't wait for Sam to come back. But that's right. sitting in Sam's seat, we have a special mm-hmm. guest. In fact, it's kind of an honorary Very thing. Special. We have the state deputy of the Tennessee Knights of Columbus. There you it's go. Michael McCusker. Michael, welcome to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. Thank you, Deacon. Glad to be here. It's thank as classy so as it sounds, isn't it? It is very but classy. Classy enough for a state deputy. Well, thank you. You're an important man with an important plan. I try to be. I can only imagine. <laughs> and I know you've already told me ahead of time. You're like, uh, this is it's crazy what it takes, what the involvement it takes to get to be. What does a state deputy do? The state deputy runs the Tennessee Knights of Columbus every. 75 jurisdictions throughout the order have a state deputy. And I got elected state warden in 2010. That's a low man on the Is that elected or convicted? How does that work exactly? (laughs) you you would have to ask my wife. I thought I was elected. She thinks we're serving a sentence. You came home and said, guess what? (laughs) Exactly. Um, The funny thing is our kids were so little when it first started. This is 10 years ago. My daughter is 18, so she was 8, and the rest were younger than her. And I had the privilege of teaching uh, Madeline. You did in uh, in high school teaching her theology. So if there's any heresy in your family, it's not my fault. I promise you. I understand. Uh, it came from somewhere else because it wasn't me. Absolutely. Uh, great kids, I'm sure, and I'm sure they're proud of their dad. State I, I hope they are. I try to make them proud. Well, awesome, awesome. So tell me, uh, you know, I I thought we'd bring you on because um, a lot of folks have heard of the Knights of Columbus, and they've they they remember things. I remember growing up and. Then I remember the Knights of Columbus. I remember my dad was a member of the Knights of Columbus Bowling League in in Memphis years and years and years ago. Uh, that bowled at Park Lanes <laughs> down in the wow. basement of Park Lanes. Oh wow! Um, I, I remember they used to uh, pass out Tootsie Rolls. I remember they had lots of spaghetti dinners and and and, and, and a lot of people. That's their memory. Um, but so tell me, why does Michael McCusker? Why are you a knight? Why did you get involved in the Knights? And and what what are, what are the Knights of Columbus to you? I became involved in the Knights of Columbus initially. I was just shy of 19 years old. So the reasons that I joined back then were more familial. My grandfather was a Knight of Columbus, and I had always seen them. The reason I'm still a Knight of Columbus today is because over the last 30-something years of being a Knight, it's made me a better man, a better husband, a better father, and a better Catholic because... We are the strong right hand of the church. We defend our priests, we protect the church, and we constantly perform charitable works that embedder our our communities and our country and the world. Just last year, the Knights of Columbus gave $187 million in charity throughout the world. That's amazing. And a lot of people don't realize just how involved the Knights are. And I uh, just learned in the last several years 
that the Knights are very uh, keen on making sure people know their faith. Uh, so you talked about sort of defending the church, but you talked about uh, teaching people. Uh, and there's a lot of programs that the Knights have that are really focused on catechesis, on helping people to understand just how rich and deep and beautiful our faith is. And is that something that you that you take to heart there? I do. The, the, the whole basis of the Knights of Columbus programs uh, is what is called Faith in Action. Uh, for many years it was called Surge with Service, but over the last few years we've turned our focus toward being in the parishes, serving the parishes, helping the pastors and the associate pastors, and trying to slowly move away from what a lot of people think about with the Knights of Columbus, and that's the old council hall where the brothers hang out and they do events from time to time. We want to be knee-deep in the churches, in the parishes, helping them to meet their needs and Mm. being a face for all the parish of what a a virtuous Catholic life looks like. Now, so um, a lot of people who might think like, wow, you know, my dad was a knight or my grandfather was a knight or my uncle or, or whatever, and they think like, that's that's my sort of dad's, you know, Knights of Columbus thing. I mean, are things different now, or how would you describe them in a way that might appeal to someone who might, let's just say they might think that that's not, that's like, like old fuddy-duddies or something. Because I know that's not the case, because the Knights I know are not that way. I just, a lot of people might not think that this is a kind of a cool thing to do. Right. Well, I think it's a cool thing to do. I've been doing it since I was almost 19 years old. But you're kind of a nerd, Michael. Let's I just am, be honest. I am. So <laughs> no, I'm just I will, kidding. I will own it. <laughs> no. You know, one of our youngest members uh, here locally in the Memphis area last year is 20, about 25 years old now, a young father. Uh, his name is Caleb. He has a young son named Augustine. Mm-hmm. He is a convert to the Catholic faith. And he has just fully embraced Catholicism, mm. and it is the driving force of his life. And when I talked, I saw him one morning at Mass with his, his wife and their young son, and I thought, boy, that was me just a minute ago. Mm. Awesome. And I said, I want him to have the same experience I've had for all these years of being involved in the Knights of Columbus, growing deeper in my faith. And now he's one of our active members in the council, and he loves it. But you know what's interesting? The Knights of Columbus have recently gone away uh, from the secret ceremonies. In, right. in the old days, if you joined the Knights of Columbus, they had first, second, and third degrees, and those were, were done in secret. Not that there was anything uh, scandalous about it, but the, the point was we wanted to teach a lesson. And if you know the lesson before you go in, it's not going to make an impression on you. So for years, though, we had the secret ceremonials, and last year that changed. Where now, if you join the Knights of Columbus and you go through your exemplification of charity, unity, and fraternity, your wife and your children and your parents and brothers and sisters and friends can all come and see what it is you're joining and what you're getting involved in. And when I talked with Caleb, I guess around February of this year, he said, you know, that whole secret stuff, I got to admit, for my generation, it's kind of a turn off. Yeah, but the fact that my wife can come and see what I'm doing and the importance of it, that I think that made a difference in me wanting to join. Well, that's, that's awesome. Going to impact a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and so, and I think that's the intent as yeah, well. Like and uh, it's not so much that anything was happening that was bad, but now the more people that the more that people can see, mm-hmm. the more they can really embrace exactly uh, the beauty and the gift. And you know, there's such a rich 
tradition and history with the Knights of Columbus. It's been around for for quite some time now. Uh, in fact, uh, we have Blessed Michael McGiffney, who's not to be confused with Blessed Michael McCusker. No, right. You know? <laughs> You're not quite there yeah. yet. Still waiting on that first miracle. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it's right around the corner. The, the fact that Teresa stayed with me this long, that may be now, a miracle. Now, that might be the miracle. We might want to submit that and see if that, uh, if that flies. Uh, but so tell me about uh, Blessed Michael McGivney. Father McGivney was a priest in the Diocese of Hartford, Connecticut. He was born in 1852, so by the time he was 13 years of age, he uh, his formal education stopped, and he went to work in a brass mill where he made spoons, and he did that for three years before he became a priest. Well, he didn't become a priest. He went to seminary. First, he went to St. Hyacinth in Quebec. Then he went to Our Lady of Angels Seminary in Niagara Falls, and in June 1873, as he was preparing for the priesthood, his father died, mm. and he had to go home. He had to abandon the dream of his vocation and go home and provide for his family and his siblings who were still at home, and that delayed his becoming a priest. Eventually, he did finish at St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore, and he was uh, ordained by Archbishop Gibbons. First assignment was St. Mary's Catholic Church in New Haven, Connecticut, which was an eyesore to the fine families of New Haven who lived in and around Yale that this huge Catholic church was built in their neighborhood. Uh, and it's a beautiful church, but it was a church that was saddled with debt. Mm. And as a young priest, he was constantly facing the struggles of men just like him who uh, were working, providing for their families, and then experienced the loss of a family member and many times he would be drawn to the to courts because there were wards of the state whose fathers had died, families were destitute. And so what he did was he, he got 12 men together in the basement of St. Mary's and said, we've got to do something so that when our Catholic brothers uh, fall, because back then so many of your immigrants, especially the Irish immigrants in that area, were doing the, the worst jobs and dangerous jobs and he said we have to do something to help provide for those families and so they formed the knights of columbus those 12 men formed the knights of columbus uh to provide fraternal benefits to the members and here we are 138 years later with over 2 million members throughout the world and still doing the mm. same thing, essentially, essentially helping building up families and making men better men. Exactly. Uh, and helping uh, strengthen uh, the, the local churches and to support the priests. Um, and that's an amazing thing that, uh, that the Knights are continuing to do. It is incredible. We are, a, in so many respects, we're local organizations because we're councils throughout uh, the, the United States and many countries. But we're also a global organization. Just in the last... Five years, we put $25 million into rebuilding the Middle East and helping the persecuted Christians, building a 110 apartment unit in Erbil, Iraq, where displaced Christian families can come to, back together as a community and celebrate their faith and celebrate their Catholic heritage without fear of persecution. And we're doing the same thing now, uh, beginning to look at Nigeria, where over 60,000 Christians have been persecuted over the past few years, and now we're looking at how can we make the same difference 
in Nigeria and Africa that we've made in the Middle East. That's incredible. And you know, Beautiful. It's, it's, if there's one common denominator here, like in terms of like where, where the young people are, they're, they're all wanting to save the world, right? Exactly. They're all wanting to do good things. And this, what, a, what a great opportunity and, and a way in which you can actually be um, uh, helping to actually make people's pain go away, to make places uh, better places to live and to, to live their faith and things like that. So that's awesome that you're doing that. So we are talking to Michael McCusker, who's the state deputy for the Tennessee Knights of Columbus. And uh, we're talking about the Knights of Columbus. And we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of a break. Uh, before we take that break, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. The heresy of iconoclasm came to the forefront in the early 8th century and lasted well into the 9th century. The iconoclast, whose name means image breakers, rejected the use of images of God or humans, but especially those of Christ, Mary, the saints, and holy events. These images had become commonplace in churches and homes throughout the universal church over the centuries, with paintings, drawings, sculptures, and other images dating to the earliest days of the Christian church. The iconoclast felt that to venerate these images was tantamount to idolatry, and their influence was causing a rift within the church. A council was called in the late 8th century, which addressed the issues of icons and sacred images in particular, but in a more general sense, the very nature of the worship of God. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 AD was the seventh ecumenical council of the church and spoke with the full weight of the magisterium the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. There was much discussion and prayer by the bishops attending the universal gathering. They took into account not only the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also the works of many great Catholic theologians of the day. The writings of St. John of Damascus are said to have had a profound influence on the Council Fathers. About the subject of sacred art, he said, If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and place him before the icons. The Second Council of Nicaea dogmatically decreed that church's inspired tradition of the veneration of sacred images be upheld. The council proclaimed, We define that the holy icons, whether in color, mosaic, or some other material, should be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on the sacred vessels and liturgical vestments, on the walls, furnishings, and in the houses along the roads, namely the icons of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that of Our Lady, Theotokos, those of the venerated angels, and those of all the saintly people. Whenever these representations are contemplated, they will cause those who look at them to commemorate and love their prototype. Still today, the Catholic Church continues the centuries-old tradition of the use and benefit of sacred images of all kinds. The dogmatic decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea and many subsequent ecumenical councils to follow on the proper veneration of these images served as a spiritual anchor of inspiration to sacred tradition and the divine revelation of God. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history.
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And I am Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Dorian. Yes, sir. And we are talking to Michael McCusker, who's the state deputy for or of the Tennessee Knights of Columbus. Uh, and uh, and that's awesome that uh, we would have the state deputy here. And you were during the break, you were telling us how you telling us how to how he became the step state deputy. He found a sword at the bottom of a lake, and it was really, really Hard to cool. get out. Yeah, Got it was, it. yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, right. Amazing, so, amazing yeah. adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that said, uh, we, we, we were just kind of talking about um, Blessed Michael McGivney, uh, and and then also kind of connecting all the stuff that you're still doing uh, as knights. And uh, I just I love when something – this is the thing I love about the Catholic Church, you know, ever ancient, ever new, the idea that – that there's such rich tradition in history, right? It, it just wasn't invented overnight, and you know it's not yesterday's news. It really is. It's it's a sort of a mixture of something that's like it's well, it's lasted this long because it's it's right, it's true, it's good, right? Same thing with the knights that you guys. Um, it's a, it's a good thing, and I and I think also if people pay a little attention, they might realize there's there's something very modern about it in the sense that it's doing a a, a necessary job. Uh, and that that young people need to take a, a second look at this uh, and realize just how um, uh, applicable it is to all the challenges that we have in the world. Exactly. You, I mean, you think of it. You know, people say the chivalry's dead. Well, it's not with the Knights of Columbus. We still believe in fighting for something, standing up for something, and making a difference. If you know, each and every Knight of Columbus gives something unique because each and every one of them i tell them this all the time i I told my district deputies this weekend the reason that you are a knight right now the reason that you're doing whatever you're doing right now in the knights of columbus is because when you were formed in your mother's womb god said this is my plan for your life Mm. and i think it's a great opportunity for a lot of men out there who you look at the church today i think like one in four baptized catholics are no longer practicing the faith yeah how many men are going to mass every weekend sitting there in a pew for an hour and not understanding why they're doing it not understanding the full significance of the eucharist Mm -hmm. that is disconnected Mm -hmm. and the knights of columbus is a way that lets you as carl anderson has said he's the supreme knight of the knights of columbus it's not about joining an organization it's about embracing a way of life. Mm-hmm. And when you live that life to its fullest, I have, I have never left the Knights of Columbus event and felt it was a waste of time. Uh, I have always, I leave Knights of Columbus events all the time feeling like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus were, you know, were our hearts not on fire um, because you feel the presence of, of, of Jesus Christ in everything we do. That's amazing, and that's a, what a great testimony. And again, so if you're listening, now here's the other thing: is you guys have a little. Um, I mean, you know, this this show will go on for years and years and years, uh, but this deal is not going to go on. But you you really have uh, some uh, like a little a little sort of Christmas gift, I guess, uh, that the Knights of Columbus is offering right now that you want to tell us about. We do in honor of Blessed Michael McGivney's beatification. We are offering free online membership to eligible Catholic men, and that runs through December 31st. Um, To be eligible for the Knights of Columbus, you have to be 18 years of age, 
a baptized Catholic, and a practicing Catholic. Pretty simple qualifications. Yeah. Uh, typically, online membership costs $30 a year. Um, but if you use the code McGivney2020 all together, uh, M-C-G-I-V-N-E-Y-2020, and you go to kofc.org, which is the Knights of Columbus website, you select join, you fill out the information, and when you get to the page where typically you were putting your payment information between now and December 31st, if you put in McGivney2020, you get free membership for a year. And, and then you begin that journey from the online membership to getting involved in a local council. So we hope a lot of Catholic men out there will take advantage of this opportunity and begin living that deeper life. Yeah, save a little money, but at the same time, you're really going to start uh, uh, going on, on a voyage. You're exactly. going to go on an adventure here. Uh, and really, if you've been looking for something to kind of bolster your faith and make you feel like that you're not just sitting in the pew uh, with uh, just sort of a passive nature about you. Checking but a box. To, yeah, exactly. That you, you become more active and involved in your faith and really to become a better husband, father, uh, a better Christian, just a, a better um, a better man in general, this is an opportunity for you to do that. I know a lot of people um, kind of struggle with identity and with, with the idea of like, what am, what am I called to be and to do? And the Knights is a way in which a man can help sort of find that, can't they? Exactly. Uh, God has a plan for your life, and this may be the answer. Mm-hmm. And the reasons you join something, you may not fully understand what you're doing. I mean, I, I did not join the Knights of Columbus thinking that I would be the state deputy of Tennessee. I just wanted to be involved and make a difference and, and grow deeper in my, my faith. Right. But you just had me walking by, and there was a, there was a sword and a stone, exactly. and you pulled it out <laughs> and all that stuff, and the rest is history. Right. Uh, Michael McCusker uh, becoming the state deputy. And you know what? Whoever's listening right now might very well be the next state deputy eventually one day. Uh, what an opportunity. Uh, we could be talking to that person. I hope that we are. Um, and uh, and so many opportunities. Now, you'd mentioned before talking about the Knights, and you've talked. You've said a couple times, Michael, that uh, uh, that God has always had a plan for you from the very moment of your conception, really. And it just it struck me, it reminded me, I guess, just how active in uh, pro-life causes that the Knights of Columbus are. In fact, I think uh, I was really uh, appreciative of the fact that, that you uh, organized a, a trip to the, um, the right to life or the uh, life uh, thing in Washington, right? We did, we did last year. For the last few years, Tennessee Knights have been kind of going in piecemeal fashion to right. the event. And a couple of years, they have buses from different parts of the state. But last year, we managed to send a uh, group of knights from all three dioceses, about 50-plus knights. And uh, we kind of follow St. Benedict along on yeah, the that's route. Right. That's right. And uh, it was uh, amazing. And the other great thing about the Knights of Columbus, it is a staunchly pro-life organization. And one of the... the, the key features of our organization is the ultrasound program. Yeah, tell me about that. Where we challenge councils to raise funds to place ultrasounds into uh, pregnancy centers to help uh, women and, and, and the men also who are with them to uh, at least understand what they're about to do if they're considering terminating right. an abortion. And I remember specifically, you know, I'm a father of nine, and I remember specifically our our last uh, child 
we actually were able to use the the 4D technology, which I know mm-hmm. is not what we're talking about here. But but when you see that image, it changes a lot of things. It does. I still remember the first time I saw an ultrasound and realized um, way it's it suddenly puts sort of concretely before you what's in that womb, what might be sort of hidden from you from outside view, right? But it's you suddenly see that, and I know that hearts. Uh, and minds have been changed, been moved by, by these. Many, many testimonies over the years of, of people who have chosen life because of the ultrasound. And what we do is we challenge the councils to raise the funds. And when they get to a certain percentage, the Supreme Council will come in and help match those funds so that they can complete the process. And one of the things I'm proudest of as State Deputy of Tennessee is we averaged about one ultrasound machine every five years in Tennessee. Wow. And in the last year and a half during my time as state deputy, we've placed about 10 ultrasound machines. Wow, that's incredible. That's great. I mean, just think about the potential there. Exactly. So again, I'm saying to people who are listening, going like, I, I want to be I want to be part of a cause. It's like, well, what's a what's a better cause than helping the, the most uh, defenseless, uh, vulnerable human beings into the world and and you guys are like on the front lines uh, doing that that's an incredible gift exactly you know when you think about the nice columbus and where we started and where we are today it's an amazing journey uh, i've had the the benefit of going to the uh, blessed michael mcgivney pilgrimage center in new haven and when you go there they have his vestments laid out that he was buried in back in 1890 and my wife and i were in there and we were looking at the vestments because they at one point they disinterred him and they moved into st michael's and they were so threadbare and i said wow look the grave really did a number on these vestments and Teresa said no you need to go read that over on the wall that's how his vestments were Mm. in his life because of the immense poverty that he experienced as a priest Mm. so he is such an example to all priests of what can be done when you have a vision and the most beautiful thing, I got to go to beatification here recently. And on Saturday night after the beatification, I went to St. Mary's. In that church, it was Halloween. So many young people were in that church who could have been out partying on Halloween. So many Yale students wow, beautiful. in there holding adoration overnight. And that's why I think he should be the patron saint of young Americans. Amen. 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 Such a, a great story and such a great uh, example. Thank you, Michael McCusker, State Deputy of the Tennessee Knights of Columbus, for being here. Thank you so much. And so we're going to ask our Blessed Mother to intercede on our behalf. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Blessed Michael McGivney, pray for us. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.